Capes on the Couch podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Dr. Issues is a psychiatrist, but he is not your psychiatrist and does not have knowledge of your individual situation. For any personal mental health concerns, please consult your own health care providers. For medical emergencies, please call 911 or the designated number in your area immediately. Remember that you are not alone and help is out there. Hello and welcome to Capes on the Couch, where comics get counseling. I'm Anthony Sitko. And I'm Dr. Issues. This is issue number 34, our last one before our little holiday break. Doc, you got anything fun planned for the holidays? Uh, well, I have a lot of birthdays in my family at the same time, so it basically means I'm dead broke. Same. My my niece and nephew, both born in December, uh, one a, a week before Christmas, a week and a half before Christmas, the other several days after Christmas, plus you know, right around the holidays is is your daughter, so I have to get her present. Your wife's birthday is right around there. Yep, it's my mom's birthday, my niece's birthday, my other niece's birthday, <laughs> uh, my cousin on my wife's side. My uncle was born on Christmas Eve. Oh man! And yeah. then just you know the general Christmas holidays, and I have to get things for the child to be. You yeah. Know, yeah. And if anyone wants to point out, well, you know that this time of year happens every year, so you should just simply plan for it. Please kindly shut up. Yes. Why don't you come and do my finances then if you're so smart? <laughs> so this is a, this is our 34th episode. And, and I think given that this is the last one of the year, I think it's, you know, if we could take like a moment or two to just talk about what 2018 has meant for us. Um, you know, we started this show as just two guys who loved comic books and wanted to find a way to destigmatize mental health. And I know I keep using that expression, but that is really why we wanted to do it. And we had the goal. It started off as, you know, way back when it's like a panel discussion at Comic-Con and then we were going to do a book about it. Yep. And we may still do the book, but we we were discussing on the way to and from a Tough mutter that that a podcast would be a good way for us to to do that. And it is it has grown just by leaps and bounds in ways I never even imagined possible. And to think back, you know, at the beginning of the year when we started this with our first episode on Eddie Brock and to see where we've grown and, and the characters and the, the breadth and the, the depth of things that we've discussed. And we just had our crossover with popcorn psychology. That's something that I, that I was not sure was going to ever happen. And I know that 2019 is just going to continue to see massive growth for this show. And I don't even know where we're going to be in a year from now, but I know it's going to be amazing. And uh, I I could go on and on, but Doc, I'll let you talk about, you know, what your thoughts have been for this, the last 30, you know, 34 episodes. I'd like to say thank you to everyone that has been willing to listen to my voice. I hate the sound of my own voice, but having said that, uh, Anthony has definitely given us a fantastic platform to work from, uh, to Bottom line, try and have some fun along the way with helping people be comfortable with themselves. And I don't think that doing it any other way to start would have been as comfortable for me. I'm saying this as a person that honestly, in my lifetime, I never thought I would do something like this. And I apologize if there's a quiver in my voice because I am saying this um, with a bit of emotion, uh, which once again is not expected, but... The point still stands. Thank you once again. 
I hope to be doing this for a very long time along with him. I hope we continue to meet some fascinating and wonderful people along the way that have very similar goals. Uh, I hope that we're able to expand uh, to thank the people that create the content as much as we enjoy talking about it. Um, we realize that none of this will be possible without them as well. Um, and this particular episode, I think I'm I'm very grateful to say because Tom King, the way that he writes, does take very clearly uh, the emotional and, and psychological aspect of characters and situations and puts them front and center. And there are a lot of writers that wouldn't be willing to do that and be willing to go through that level of depth. So I would just like to say I've read several things from him, uh, but this latest run of Mr. Miracle is uh, absolutely outstanding. I hope one day to to meet you at a Comic-Con, if it ever meet, matches my schedule. Um, and even if I don't, I do follow him on Twitter, on my uh, Doc Issues account. And I know at least once he's seen something and liked it. So I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I was going to say Tom King uh, first came to my attention with the Division run that he did for Marvel. And it is very rare that I cry while reading a comic book. But the way that he told the story about the Vision and his family, he made me care about a robot dog in a way that I didn't know I could ever conceptually do. If you have not yet read Tom King's run on the vision, it's, it's 12 issues and it is astounding. And I think as amazing as that was, his run on Mr. Miracle was even better. And we asked him if he would be willing to be interviewed for this and talk about the character. And he was very gracious on Twitter. And he said that everything that he wanted to say about the character, he said in the book. So I give him copious amounts of credit. And, and, and again, thank you just for even just responding to us, frankly. That was very gracious, Tom. Same thing, uh, Mitch Gerards, the, the artwork on this matched the level of the writing. And Mitch did literally everything himself, pencils, inks, colors, the whole shebang. This was This was all Mitch. And it's a very distinctive art style, the nine panel, which I know that they just parodied in the Spider-Man Deadpool. But it's so distinctive that uh, it's just like I said, it's an amazing run and I feel privileged to have read it. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, when people say like, oh, comics are for children, comics are for kids, etc. Read Mr. Miracle and tell me that this is for children. It is absolutely not by virtue of the fact that it's about superheroes and it's on, you know, it's in a comic book does not necessarily infantilize the subject material. And Tom King elevated some of these discussions to a level and and in ways that I did not envision were possible when we first started reading it. And I really don't want to make it seem like I'm, I'm going to spend this entire episode kissing Tom King's ass. Oh, I will. That's OK. It's all good. Tom King, you're awesome. I would have been total fanboyish, so it's probably best that you didn't come on the podcast at that given time. <laughs> I'm willing to admit that, people. I really am. Okay. All right. Well, listen. And like I said, it, and and when I say that, I don't mean that Tom King is not worthy of all of the praise. It's just, you know, I don't want this to turn into a, a Tom King love fest, right. even though he's totally deserving of it. But just by, by again, talking about the character. Um, so before we get into to Mr. Miracle, um, I want to just mention, uh, we started last week with the conceited, uh, Considered and Conceited podcast. Another podcast that I would like to give a shout out to. 
and one that um, we've uh, the character we've discussed. And certainly I'll understand why I want to talk about this. It's Into the Night, K-N-I-G-H-T. It is a Moon Knight themed podcast also run by Australians. So two weeks in a row, we're talking about Aussies. But listen, man, they love talking about podcasts uh, and they, they have amazing content. So Into the Night is an entirely Moon Knight themed podcast. It is run by Connor and Ray and with some other folks in there as well. And the cool thing that I, I think about the show, the topics of the show are based around the different phases of the moon. So if it's if it's a waning moon, if it's a new moon, if it's a full moon, they have topics that are suited towards each different phase of the moon. And when the episode is recorded or when it's released, whatever the phase is, that's what they'll discuss, whether it's a current run, whether it's an old run, whether it's, you know, something out of universe or et cetera, or tangentially related to Moon Knight. It's fascinating. They've done some interviews. Uh, they just interviewed uh, Jason Burroughs and Max Bemis of the recent run, which, and I know I've frankly crapped on Max Bemis uh-huh. quite a bit for his run on the book, but they interviewed him and it was, it was kind of interesting. I'm still not, it, it, listening to the interview was fascinating. I won't say that it necessarily changes my opinion of the book, but it did change my opinion of Max. Okay. That's impressive. So I will say that I'm I'm a big enough man to admit that. I still don't think that he should have written Moon Knight the way that he did, but I have a little better understanding of Max Bemis as a person. Okay. So I will say that. But uh, in any event, Into the Into the Night is a, a podcast. If you are a Moon Knight aficionado like me, or even if you're not necessarily as big of a Moon Knight fan as I am, because I realize that's a really high bar to clear, but it's entertaining it's informative, and uh, I will suggest that everyone should at least give it a listen and see if you like it. All right. Fair enough. I don't have anything really to add to that. So uh, on a side note, you can check out all of our shows. Uh, since this is the last one of the year, I just want to make sure we cover all of our bases. You can find all of our shows on our website, capesonthecouch.live, where you can not only listen to our episodes, but read Doc's blogs. Uh, the postings. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. There's the Capes on the Couch Twitter account. There's also, uh, we each have our individual Twitter accounts, Anthony Sitko and Doc Issues. Uh, I have my personal Instagram if you want to follow me for fitness and, and things of that nature. We have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Capes on the Couch, where you can sign up at the one, three, five, and $10 levels and get according rewards. You can find our show on basically all the major platforms that you find podcasts on. And if you do listen to our show on a platform that allows you to like and review, please uh, like, subscribe, and leave a rating and review. And if you do, we will be sure to read them out on the show. Um, So I guess now officially we will get started on the episode proper. Mr. Miracle, which uh, again, we're doing around the holidays because his colors are red and green. And also because the Tom King issue just ended uh, with issue number 12. So we might as well talk about it. Scott Free was created by Jack Kirby in Mr. Miracle number one of April 1971. This is when uh, Kirby decided to leave Marvel and go over to DC. And he created the whole fourth world, new gods, dark side, apocalypse, new Genesis, Scott, you know, Mr. Miracle, et cetera, all of those, those associated characters all out of the, the mind and pen of Jack Kirby, who was just a phenomenal talent, certainly deserves all of the credit that he's been given for the numerous characters that he created and gave life to. So Scott Free, Mr. Miracle. I don't know that he ever actually referenced his birth name. I'm not aware of it. Was, it was mentioned in the Tom King run that Scott Free came from Granny Goodness because he was constantly escaping. And she said, you got to wait, Scott Free, Scott Free. So 
I suppose in that sense, it makes sense, but I don't know of, of his actual birth name. He is the son of the High Father, ruler of New Genesis, and as a way to stop war with Apocalypse, the High Father traded him to Darkseid in exchange for Darkseid's son, Orion, and this basically ensured that neither would attack the other as long as they held their son's, I don't want to say hostage, but... Hey, I mean, treating him as a ward. It was almost like a yeah. like a Theon Greyjoy type thing. For if you're a Game of Thrones fan, yeah. that Theon Greyjoy was raised by the Stark family as a way to ensure that uh, you know the Greyjoys and that the Iron Islands wouldn't cause problems for the rest of the North. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, interesting living treaty, basically. Yeah. Since he grew up on Apocalypse, he grew up in a very hellish environment. He managed to survive abuse. Then he met Big Barda, who was one of the Furies, and they fell in love. Then Scott escaped to Earth. His escape nullified the pact with Darkseid. So therefore, Darkseid being Darkseid, he attacked New Genesis. And he basically knew that Scott was going to escape and leave and then he was he was biding his time because that's who dark side is dark side really does play that 4d chess he's the master strategist that he will figure out what is going to happen and plan accordingly yeah he basically is the example of if you think you're playing a long game he will outweigh you he has no issue with discipline <laughs> in more ways than one exactly exactly he's got he's got a lot of patience when he came to earth scott met an escape artist named thaddeus brown who called himself mr miracle after thaddeus was murdered scott took up the mantle and also his uh, assistant oberon as well then barda came to earth to be with scott uh, they joined the Justice League, and when they weren't out saving the world, they kind of lived a, a quiet married life. Scott was portrayed at various times as sort of like a henpecked husband, but they they really truly loved each other, and that was that was certainly evident throughout the the various runs. Right, and I know you you already mentioned it that she was a fury. We're not giving enough credit to the idea. Big Barda was an awesome fighter. She was a warrior, basically. And the fact that someone like Mr. Miracle, who also was an excellent fighter in his own right, but the point being, she was the one that often took the lead in battle. So for her to go from that to being a stay-at-home wife, it's the ultimate contrast, basically. So that's why when you see it in the comic panels and you see the way it's written, it's not deprecating. It really is like this enjoyable experience. So I, I want to make that clear because sometimes when people just kind of jump in on these comic runs, they'll think like, oh my goodness, how can you put down a woman like that? No, 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 no. That is not the tone of this in the slightest, at least not from the way I experienced it. No, nor I. Okay. Uh, Barda was, has always been treated with uh, the, the, the utmost respect. Uh, she's incredibly powerful. She's frankly, I think, stronger than Scott. I think she's a little better. She's certainly a better fighter than Scott. Mm -hmm. And... It's it's never really played for cheap laughs. So uh, it is something that, you know, it, it's treated with with respect. And the Tom King run, which, like I said, just uh, just ended. Scott is basically caught between fighting in the war on Apocalypse and helping Barda on Earth raise their son, Jacob, because she becomes pregnant. By the way, I loved issue six. I know it's a kind of a spoiler alert, but the way that they are breaking into the palace on Apocalypse to face Orion, who has been, you know, leading the troops and 
because Orion had sentenced Scott to death. I'm not going to get into the, all the details on, on the run, but Orion had sentenced Scott to death and they refused to accept the execution. So they were going to break into the basically the throne room and attack Orion to prevent Scott from being executed. And the entire time they're doing this, they are having a wonderfully benign discussion about all of the changes that Barda wants to make to the condo. And she's revealing, oh, she wants to shrink this room. She wants to add on a bathroom. She wants to change another bedroom. She wants to do this, that, and the other. And it's eventually revealed that she wants to make all these changes because she's pregnant and they're going to need the space. So I hate the, well, I don't hate to use it. I I use them frequently. The TV tropes, casual danger dialogue absolutely applies to this situation. They are fighting. They are killing their way through the troops. They are breaking down walls and all the while saying, oh, you know, I think if we take this out, there's not going to be enough room for our stuff. Well, why do we, what we need the room for the stuff? No, the problem is we have too much stuff and we don't need the room for it. So if we get rid of the stuff, then we don't need the space for it. The, The juxtaposition of the danger that they're in and the discussion that they're having that's played for absolute humor, and it's masterfully done by Tom King. Um, so after Orion gets killed, not by Scott, Scott becomes the new High Father, and he's the leader of New Genesis, and he ends up killing Darkseid and the war, but not before almost turning over their son to Darkseid, who says, I will leave everyone alone if you give me custody of my grandson. Uh. Yeah, just everything about that situation and everything leading up to it points out that there are going to be times in life where you're making what you consider to be the ultimate decisions. And sometimes the best course of action is to do option C, none of the above. I have a different plan and and making sure that you are always thinking of alternatives instead of getting stuck in a situation. Also, this is the first time I was introduced to Funky Flashman, (laughs) who is basically it's Stan Lee. Like 1970s era Stanley, he set, has all of Stan's catchphrases. And of course, reading this for the first time after Stan's passing, it just made it that much more heartfelt. But to read, you know, Hello, True Believers, Excelsior, all I mean, literally all of Stan's catchphrases are in here because he was originally created by Jack Kirby as a pastiche of Stan, who he didn't really have the best relationship with at the time. And then. Uh, you know, to see that the growth and evolution of the character and he becomes Jacob's babysitter. Yeah. Um, it's just like I said, it's it's highly entertaining. So, again, not to not to kiss Tom King's ass that much, but he's done a masterful job in creating this environment and creating the story and these characters. So moving into the issues now and Mr. Miracle has a number of issues, but it's the way that they're presented, I think, is is, again, based primarily on this on this Tom King run is just wonderfully done. He has PTSD because he was abused for years on Apocalypse, literally years. So he has a handle on it most of the time, but he can be triggered. And one of the the key things that I'm going to talk about that that really manifested itself in the comics is he's negotiating with uh, Callback, I think is the name. Yep. And they're negotiating the, the peace treaty between Apocalypse and New Genesis. And the table that they're negotiating over is literally being held up by slaves of Apocalypse. And Kalabak is angry with the way negotiations are going. So he pulls one of the slaves out from underneath the table and bashes his head in, kills him right in front of Scott, and then basically says, aren't you going to mourn him? And Scott says, I was raised on Apocalypse. Death, death ain't a thing for me. And then... After that scene is over, he's curled up in a fetal position in front of Barda, chattering. He's freaking out. 
because he couldn't show it at the time. But seeing someone just casually murdered in front of him like that was very traumatic for him. And the whole notion of the war and all this responsibility is weighing on him. And he really carries a very heavy burden throughout this entire run. Doc, the PTSD, how he handles it, and he's able to cope most of the time but gets triggered. How realistic of a portrayal is that? That was well done, period. He had all of this happen initially when he was very young. He was raised this way, which means that he didn't have the ability at the time, even though he was, quote unquote, escaping so many times, he would always get caught until he was of the age and ability to finally give himself full agency to leave the situation, which means that not only did he experience trauma itself, he experienced everyone around him because everyone that came in contact with this woman, Granny Goodness, uh, had the same or very similar experiences. And he got to see that with those other people as well. So he gets his own trauma. He sees other people's trauma. Then he's also in the situation where she is also his provider of everything. That's why the name Granny. Think about it. Granny is the most unassuming name you could pick. You know, referring to grandmother, referring to the ultimate example of someone whose pure motivation is supposed to be an added benefit for the next generation. And she is destroying everything that he would know about that type of relationship. He doesn't have an alternative mother figure at any other point. Therefore, that's all he knows about that side of the equation. So I'm grateful that he has other experiences as he gets older, but unfortunately, it's going to set him up for any other interaction that he has when it comes to periods of violence, periods of aggression, even just the basics of having a conversation and shouting, yelling, or any anything else of the sort. It's going to be in the back of his mind, what if? Meaning, what if this goes wrong? What if this person is about to attack me or attack someone else? And for the most part, Thankfully, because and this is pointed out in the original run, not even the Tom King run. Yes, we're actually going to acknowledge that before the Tom King run, he was portrayed as someone who had developed a very positive attitude. And the reason he was able to persevere is because he was able to take that mindset and apply it to the rest of his life. So in that way, he's a bastion of hope for anybody who's gone through trauma. So that's a wonderful thing. The problem is it doesn't just automatically go away. And, and the word triggered that you mentioned is a great example of that because in theory, he's had so many encounters throughout his life where he could say, what if something bad happens? Unfortunately, because of the nature of his work, because of the nature of what he does, he actually is encountering those as an adult. So the what ifs become, this is common, this is routine. So all those things that we think about with PTSD, such as hypervigilance or intense immediate reactions to stressors where you feel like you need to, you know, to do an action, even if it's benign, that doesn't exist in that particular scenario because now he actually is at war and now he actually is seeing death, violence and destruction, and he does have to act accordingly. So it's no longer a situation where he needed a positive attitude in order to deal with the rest of society that hasn't experienced it, 
he's back to the experience and has to call on the exact same mechanisms that we usually consider to be maladaptive. So when you have to go back and forth, I'm adding the third element to this. He now is back in an environment in his own residence where, in theory, he can, quote unquote, let his guard down. But that means that all of those responses that initially would be considered a positive are now back to being a negative. So if you know that you're going to have a certain period of time, think of a police officer. You know that when you're on duty, you have a responsibility to keep other people safe, keep your partner safe, keep yourself safe. And you're going to be encountering people that have, let's say, opposing intentions. You're going to have a level of hypervigilance. You're going to have intense reactions. You're going to, for the most part, try and keep your emotions in check and make sure that you don't demonstrate anything that's going to be considered a threat, but still ready to act at a moment's notice. Now you go home for the night. You're with family, friends, children, people that are non-threatening and, if anything, are supposed to be supportive. Now you can calm down a bit. Hopefully you have a routine that helps you do that and you can... I hate to say it this way, but the way people describe it, flip it on and off like a switch. The problem becomes when you don't have that routine, when you have those experiences prolonged and unexpectedly. So imagine an officer that found out that he's going to have to work now for like the next seven days straight because someone is sick and now they don't get that downtime. They're just doing shift after shift after shift. At some point, they're going to come back home. But their family is going to expect them to be who they, quote unquote, normally are. That's a difficult transition. And those types of transitions are, I almost like to say, a byproduct of PTSD, not the PTSD itself, even though you have to treat it all as one gigantic package. Someone like Mr. Miracle going through this, I'm sorry that he went through what he did as a child. And I'm sorry with what he's going through as an adult. The fact that he's able to handle things the way he does is fantastic. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the road is is done. The war may be over, but his battle is still ongoing. Huh. I knew enough, you know, certainly I've I've spoken to enough police and I have emergency responders in my family that talk about it's difficult sometimes, particularly if they have a very rough day at work to be able to come home and just forget it or to be able to turn it off or to turn it back on. So, you know, I find it it's certainly uh, something that I, I've heard of before, but the the rest of it was was fascinating to hear about that. The other thing that I want to talk about with respect to the, the PTSD at the start of the Tom King run, he had a suicide attempt, and it was almost played for laughs in the universe in which it happened. That oh, he was trying to escape death, and he he did. You know, he tried because and that that's sort of what he was saying that oh, I I wanted to see if I could escape death, and I did, and it. It has an impact on himself as well as Barda. You know, they have that they had a, a wonderful conversation where Barda basically, you know, finally let it out that she had been holding it in for a while. But she finally came to him and said, you know, how do you think I liked finding you bleeding out like that? You know, that was that was terrible. And, you know, you did that to me. Are you trying to run away from me? Are you trying to run away from us? You know, she took it very personally, which is a completely natural response to have to uh, someone that you love, particularly your spouse, um, having a, a suicide attempt like that. How realistically, again, and, and I hate to keep using that 
But how how well was this handled? The the suicidal nature of Mister Miracle, like what what brought it on, and how was it handled as it related to PTSD and the other factors in in this run? Yeah, this is something that I think I've touched on in other episodes, and if not, then. Hey, it's new content, which is always a good thing for an entertainment show. Sometimes when people have experiences with, once again, what we would consider to be symptoms in other environments, but are considered survival tactics and techniques in others, uh, would prefer to be in the stressful environment because at least they know the feedback they're getting indicates that they're doing the proper thing. In this case, Mr. Miracle Scott seemed to be in this limbo he he didn't know exactly what he wanted to do with some of the changes that were happening in terms of his personal life in terms of other things and in, in his own history and and background and this may sound very strange but for some people having something else to focus on is better than having nothing and that seemed to be where this was coming from. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would describe that as accurate or inaccurate as much as it can be a possibility for why someone would act that way. And so from that standpoint, I'm not trying to justify or validate the idea that anyone should do anything to harm themselves or to end their life or anything of the sort. I'm, I'm staunchly against that. But. I could understand the idea that if you let, let's think about it this way. If a character like that has shown that they can get out of any situation, they can do anything that people have asked of them. In other words, they've accomplished the typical external goals that you would expect. They had their own expectations for what their life was going to be like, who they were going to be with. He's with Barda. That's what he wanted. He has what he needed at the moment. He's he's accomplished that. So. At this point, he's checking off checkbox after checkbox after checkbox. And then what? So then that question just keeps coming up. And then what? What do you do next? What is left? When you feel contentment for too long, there is the chance that it goes beyond boredom. It goes to, to desperation. You see this often in, and I know age really isn't directly related to this, especially with the new gods, because they're, I don't even know how to say it, like they're immortal, but... The point being, some people have difficulties transitioning to retirement. The idea that you've accomplished what you've needed to in your work life, and now you have all the free time in the world to do what you want. It's like, but I but I wanted to do what I've been doing. So what else is there? And they get really despondent about it. So I wouldn't necessarily just automatically link that to the PTSD um, although that uh, clearly those symptoms can can have a major impact and do have their own risks when it comes to suicide. I think it stems more with the idea of when you feel lost and you're grasping at straws, you're really, really in a in a fragile situation. And someone like Barda, who clearly has shown that she is a very strong woman and, and wants the best for herself and for him. Uh, would make that known. And I'm glad that she made it known. Uh, was that the approach that I would have taken? Once again, I'm not even saying it's a matter of right or wrong. She let her emotions be known to him and that he wouldn't have to deal with this alone. 
And I think that's the positive I'm going to take from the situation, which otherwise, in all honesty, sounds sounds terrifying, sounds disastrous. And there are people that do make those types of decisions. And I'm going to bring it to a person that may not sound relevant to this at all. And that's Robin Williams. The reason why, from what we understand, from what his widow told us, it was because he got a diagnosis of an illness that he felt he couldn't handle because he had been so active and productive with his life that that was being taken away. So when someone feels like they're in a point, there's nothing else to do, then why go on? That's the question that gets raised. And I'm not saying that what Mr. Miracle or anyone that has tried to hurt themselves or committed suicide or anything of the sort, I'm not saying that that is the way to go. I'm saying that is commonly what people have felt. And that should be acknowledged because if you don't acknowledge it, you can't address it and you can't help the person move forward. Well, as as I said in my my lengthy post on, you know, Mental Health Awareness Day, I, I was at that point. I thankfully did not take any actual steps, any physical steps towards that end. But that was how I was feeling that there was nothing else for me to do. And that, frankly, the world was going to be improved once I was no longer part of it. And again, you know, thankfully, I I came out of it. I understand that there are many, many who do not and who did not. But, you know, reading that that part of it and reading the support that he was getting from Barda really kind of hit home for me. And it was a little difficult to read at times because at at the time that I was going through it, I did not feel that I had a strong support system. I think I mentioned this, that, you know, at one point I came and I, I sought help from my mother and I said, I, I think I need to talk to someone. And she said, go upstairs, stop crying, go back to bed. And the re- and when we've, we've addressed this, you know, her and I uh, since then, and I apologize, mom, for, for blowing up your spot, uh, especially since I know you listen to the episodes, but she felt at the time that she had difficulty acknowledging that I was going through something that she had gone through previously. And so that my repeating her mistake forced her to relive it. And so she chose to just ignore it or she wasn't going to really acknowledge it. And I understand now with many, many years hindsight afterwards, I understand her logic such as it was for that. In the moment, however, that was certainly not what I needed, and it definitely wasn't helpful uh, to go through that. But again, everybody has to react in their own way. And I found Barda's response to him and everything that he was going through to just be wonderfully real. And again, I, I keep coming back to it, and I think that's just one of the things that made this run so fantastic was the authenticity of it all, that even outside of the powers that Scott has and all of the fantastical situations that he was in, that they were in, they felt very much like real people, real, authentic persons that you or I could interact with on the street and not know everything that they were going through, but just to to interact with them. So that whole scenario um, with with, uh, Scott's suicide attempt and Barter's response to it and finally the the cathartic release that she had over it, all while Jacob is on the swing. So, you know, they're still trying to parent and they're trying to do their level best to not have an impact on Jacob. But 
they're going through a lot of stuff and it, it comes through. So I just thought that moment was was wonderfully, wonderfully done. Again, Tom and, and Mitch, all the, all the hats to you. So so that sort of wonderfully ties in with the next thing that we want to talk about. And it's not so much an issue per se, or at least not in a negative sense, but his relationship with Barda is phenomenally uh, healthy in spite of all of their past abuse, in spite of all of the issues that they have gone through. They really are. And it's, it's very strange to say this. They really are almost an ideal couple, like hashtag relationship goals. Like I want my marriage to be like Scott and Barda it is refreshing the way that they are so real with each other and the way that they support each other. Even when they're angry, there is still that unabiding, unquestioning love that they have for each other. And I think it's it's wonderful to see that in a superhero comic. And particularly, I think that's frankly one of the things that gets Scott through on a day to day basis is knowing that even though he is horrifically damaged from all of the issues that he's dealt with, in spite of all that and because of that, he has a loving wife with with Barda. That's. Wow, this is one of those rare situations where I'm not sure I'm going to add much to that. I think you said it succinctly very well. Uh, There is a specific comic panel that comes to mind, and it's not from the Tom King run, I swear. But the point is, this was years ago where basically Barta had laid someone out. Like just, I mean, you know, totally cold cocked him. And Scott comes up from behind, gives her this gigantic hug. That's one panel. Then there's a beat, same panel. Then the third panel is, I love you. <laughs> and and it's taken out of context for a reason, because the whole point of it was just before that, they had a very casual conversation about how long are we going to do this? How are we going to keep fighting these people and still live, you know, completely uh, individual, uh, realistic, normal lives? Meanwhile, we have, you know, people like this and she and that's when she had laid the other guy out, you know, trying to mess up everything we have. You know, do you really think I'm going to waste my childbearing? I think she even said the words childbearing, but I, I might be um, paraphrasing here. But basically, you know, her, her some of her formative years just by fighting people. No, she wants to spend it loving him. And the fact that despite the things that are so stressful going on in other spheres of their life, that she would be willing to say that to him and him recognizing in the moment. In other words, not waiting until the fighting was done, not waiting for, quote unquote, the romantic time or the right time, whatever that is, to actually just show that he loved her and appreciated her being able to say that to him, no matter the circumstances. That type of reciprocity is the type of love that people should aspire to because it's very easy to get and I'm and by the way I am not absolving myself of this and my wife if she were here would say the same thing I'm not absolving myself of the fact that I need to do a better job of this myself it's very easy to say okay on a person's birthday say that you love them on a person on anniversaries you say that you love them on major events like Hallmark Appreciation Day and Money Grab Day. I'm sorry, I mean Valentine's Day. Or on holidays or whatever, you tell people around you that you love them. 
That's all well and good. And I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm saying go ahead and do that. But the idea that in the moment when a person is hurting, tell them. When a person is feeling good, tell them. When a person is questioning what's going on, tell them. Because randomly saying to someone that you love them, and meaning it, of course, is the most powerful tool that we have in society. And it doesn't get used enough. It doesn't get used properly. I love you. Thank you. I love you, too. <laughs> no, but I mean that sincerely. Yes, no, uh, you know, I know, I know, no, I know. That's but that's my point. That's a, that's a great example of it because I don't know up until this, and this is actually false. I know what you've been going through because you've told me. But the point being, we don't always know what's going on at any given time, and communication as a whole is still incredibly important. That's what they have, and that's something that we always preach. But. Just the basics of saying and reminding a person that they are loved, worthy of being loved, is more powerful than all the therapy techniques of all of the physical exercises, of all of the philosophical and spiritual commentary that we do on a regular basis. Just simply saying and meaning, I love you, in the moment, no matter what, can really turn a person's world around. And I'm going to leave it at that. No, I, I totally agree. And and my wife and I are constantly saying to each other, you know, I love you. I love you. We 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 raise pitch. So it's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> it's, it's just a thing we've been doing since basically, you know, kind of shortly after we first started saying I love you to each other. Um, so we, we do mock it in that sense. But the the sentiment is there and there never is a day or a moment that goes by in which I'm not constantly reminded that my wife loves me for everything that I am and even everything that I'm not. And the same goes for her. And whether it's words, you know, or deeds, we try and do the best job that we can in reminding each other that if nothing else, you've got me, you know, on the inside of our, our wedding bands is inscribed. I got you because that's something that we've been saying to each other since the beginning, that even if you feel that you are down even if you feel like you're you're not yourself and you've got problems i got you that i will carry you if you can't stand um getting a little emotional yeah <laughs> um, oh i oh i was too so i i saw it i saw it in your eyes but um you know it's just it's nice to it's nice to feel that and to to have someone in your corner and i know i see my parents are there and my sister and you know i have friends but to to have someone choose to be with you through the ups and the downs and all of that is a greater makes me feel so phenomenal more than anything I could ever express. I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to on this podcast because it's going to be cool years from now when people randomly do this. I'm going to say if there's someone either listening to this with you or if there's someone not listening, I think it's better if they're not listening. If you're if you have your headphones on or whatever and they can't hear this randomly go up safely okay don't don't scare them give them a hug tell them i love you and whatever you do don't actually say why don't don't give any don't don't give any reference to anything just do it and they're gonna freak out a little bit but i almost guarantee that you made their day better Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, I think as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to go give my wife a hug and a kiss. Again, the expressions of love, they matter a lot. And Scott and Barda have that in spades. And this run was just wonderfully indicative of that. 
So moving on to treatment now in universe, and this is, again, always the the issue that we encounter when dealing with a hero as opposed to a villain, how to address their concerns and their different uh, problems while still retaining who they are as as a hero and not wanting to lose that. What would you say to Scott to help him become a better hero? To be honest with you, I'm going to take, once again, a very unique approach. I'm not sure I would say anything. Something that we didn't mention during this, but is very common in the whole new Genesis and apocalypse uh, society, and and very important to Mr. Miracle's powers, is a mother box. We've mentioned this before. Um, Think of an an iPhone on steroids uh, in terms of its capabilities. The thing is, even though they're technology boxes... They actually do have a connection with the being that they're associated with. And Mr. Miracle has shown on several occasions that he does very well with these things. What I would want to do is I would want to create, because we in the mental health field have noticed that there are certain apps that have become more popular for people to deal with their own um, emotional concerns and, and improve on them. I would really want to amp that up through a mother box. I would want to find a way because they make a connection with with the person using them to to really get into what his own feelings and reactions are to certain situations and try and modulate them with the assistance of that device. So while I'm talking to him about his trauma at a pace that he could tolerate, I could get the direct feedback. And so would he about what it's doing to him and how he could adjust accordingly. So I think that that would be a novel approach to it. And and I do have some faith in this technology because it literally saved so many people on, you know, in so many comic book issues. And I know we referenced it with the Hank Hanshaw uh, episode. You know, it saved Darkseid, basically. You know, and if yes, I, I did say that correctly. Darkseid got whooped in a fight. It, it's different than the Mr. Miracle thing. Trust me. Uh, so you can check that episode out. But yeah, I think that would be a novel way to do it. In addition to the typical therapy of, of dealing with uh, PTSD. And if you want to know more about how to handle that, you can, you can reference our Moon Knight episode. Uh, and I'm also going to give a random shout out to Popcorn Psychology because uh, they have on their show, their psychologists do an excellent job describing the typical therapies for PTSD. I don't want to just rehash this over and over again. Uh, mainly because eh, we've done it so many times. That is true. We have definitely done this, uh, some of these things on a number of occasions. So out of universe, right? I think this would basically just be, dare I say, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, this would be a soldier. Yeah. This would be a soldier who's in a loving marriage but has some PTSD, otherwise uh, an otherwise functional person. And I'm sure I I am certain that you have treated a number of military personnel with PTSD who have, you know, wonderful family lives and so on. What do you say to them and to help them cope with with the stress that they've seen? I think the first thing and I once again, I have mentioned in previous episodes the various techniques, various medications that can be used for this. So I'm not trying to rehash that once again. I'm going to focus on a part that I don't think I've actually mentioned before. It depends on what they've said and what they've told to other people and what they're comfortable telling to other people. Many times, soldiers have only been able to talk about these situations with other soldiers. 
commonly, that's the only group that they want to talk to. They only want to talk to people that have had a similar experience to them. And that's why group therapy for this can be positive. There is a risk and a downside to that, however, because there's a reason why the term trading war stories came along and why it's commonly referred to when you're sitting around at a bar. In other words, you're often doing it in the sense of almost trying to one-up each other in terms of exaggerating or, even if it's accurate, pointing out, well, my experience was more significant than yours. And it becomes a contest, a competition, and it's not fair. It's not productive. And it's hard to discern when that shift happens in the moment. So it, that's where a professional can come in and kind of be a moderator if they notice that within a group. Some groups do not like having other external mental health workers involved, and that's okay, but I'm just pointing out that it carries that external risk. Also, if the person is comfortable describing the situation to a mental health professional, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to go word for word exactly what happened to them over and over and over again. Because that could just mean they're reliving the trauma. That's not exactly productive if there's nothing that's going to change about it. There has to be some sort of middle ground between going into so much graphic detail that you're almost giving the person that's listening to it PTSD versus being the total lockbox that doesn't say anything to anyone. So finding that middle ground is going to be a very patient-specific encounter but you have to find that balance. All of the other details of the minutia of how it works is less important once you get the proper gauge. And everyone's going to be different with that. I actually had a patient that, because his experience was so unique, was written about in a book by his commanding officer. And he brought in the book, a DVD of his experiences while he was fighting in the military and some of the injuries that were suffered at that time. I clearly pointed out to him, and he disagreed with me, no violence happened or anything, but he disagreed with me where I said, I think that this is going a little too far because I understand you want to have your voice heard and I want people to recognize the service that you gave. But at the same time, putting yourself in that particular stressor is just amplifying your emotions in a way that people can't relate. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, find the balance. It's, okay, where are you now and, and what can we adjust so that we can actually get to the point of doing the proper therapy? Hmm. That seems, that seems like a very, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, the, the notion that he's constantly reliving it. I, I think it's, it's like a glory day scenario, but... Yeah. And it can be positive. That's why I'm saying I, I don't want to I don't want to badmouth that as, as something that's always going to be a negative. I'm saying it carries a risk. That's all I was getting at with that. No, no, that's that's a certainly a very fair point. Well, I don't think that Scott is necessarily to that extent with these things. But by virtue of the fact that he does feel the need to be the hero and to keep going back to apocalypse and to fighting alongside, he never gets that break and that freedom. So he's constantly reliving that trauma. So that's something that, uh, you know, and having that continual support system of, of Barda is, uh, is, is wonderful for him. And thankfully, he has her and she has him so they can lean on each other. 
uh, together. So let's see what happens when we get scot free, Mr. Miracle, on Dr. Issues' couch. Hello, Scott. I'm Dr. Issues. Hi, Doc. Wow, you seem quite cheery under the circumstances. I mean, I do my best. Uh, oh, uh, before I forget, uh, can you close that door? Uh, it's it's already closed. Uh, locked, I mean? I, mm, I'd i rather not. Don't worry, Doc. I'm not going to hurt you. It's it's for me. Uh, all right. But if things don't go well, I'll unlock it for both of our safety. Are you sure we're alone? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Cool. Let me let me just do this, okay? Yes, I'm not recording you. This is all confidential. I don't have any added cameras. Any phone calls that I get are pure coincidence. Um, I've told no one else that you're here. You knew I had all of these questions? How? What are your tricks? No, <laughs> no tricks, Scott, okay? Look, I can tell you're hypervigilant, okay? You've never truly felt safe, right? I'm trying my best to defuse that. Wow, um... Well, uh, I'd like to say that helps, but I feel that's kind of missing the mark. What do you mean? I I have people that care about me. I have amazing abilities, immense physical skill, a sharp mind. I know how to use all of it. I don't want to dull those things. I need to stay keen in this world. Worlds. Oh, you mean Apocalypse and New Genesis? Bingo. I see. All right. I know this may be difficult to talk about. Are you kidding me? I'm the poster boy of keeping a positive attitude. I'm actually like, I feel I'm well adjusted, Doc. I put my energy into my craft and my relationships. So please don't label a sickness to that. I apologize. I didn't mean to imply that you haven't done well. Okay, okay. I was I was too forward with that. Uh, let me change course. Yeah, I'll, I'll put you in position. Okay, tell me anything that bothers you. No assumptions. Sleep. Oh, well, that that is a common problem. Uh, how many hours do you get? Oh, plenty. It's not insomnia. It's irrelevance. Huh? I can literally get out of traps in my sleep. I can do that because my brain doesn't shut down. It's assessing the next threat. It reminds me of, are you sure we're not being watched right now? Yes. Scott, I have a secure office. You're not the first hero I've spoken to who needs to be safe. I've taken all the necessary precautions. Okay. All right. At least you understand. Barta doesn't always get it. I mean, I love her, but she she misses it sometimes, which is funny because you think she'd get it more than anyone. I think she just kind of gets focused on Jacob, though. Well, I mean, can you blame her? That's mother's instinct. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Just aside from Barta, I don't exactly have much to go on in that respect. So humor me, Doc. Is it, is it really that natural? I mean, are you worried that she's doing something harmful? No, 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 no. No, just that I don't want to spoil the kid. I mean, clearly I don't want him to go through what I went through. But where's the line? Oh, I, I see what you're getting at. There are different parenting types, and unfortunately, you happen to have gone through authoritarian, which is the harshest kind. But what you're describing that you want for Jacob is authoritative. You know, this is an excellent frame that's been shown to give the best chance for him to have a well-adjusted life. Oh, that's a really... Chance? Why would we leave anything up to chance? I can see traps before they even happen. Do you really think I would let anything just slip past me? See, that's just it. What you just described leans back towards trying to control everything even before they happen. That's authoritarian. Are you comparing me to Granny Goodness? No, 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 no. This is broader than that, okay? I'm saying that on spectrums, there's going to be some flexibility. And you're an escape artist. Certainly, you can appreciate the ability to come at a problem from different angles. And, you know, unexpected things do happen. Yes, Doc, but my whole plan as an escape artist is to avoid the unexpected because that's when things go wrong. And for any parent, one of the most difficult achievements is allowing your child to develop their own tools. That way, you know, 
They can get through things, but it's going to be a little different from their parents. So so you're saying I don't have to equip him with a mother box just yet. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, but for, no, quite frankly, that would be the most extreme version of helicopter parenting I've ever seen or heard of. Plus, I imagine it would keep you focused on them 24-7 to the point where we make your sleep situation 10 times worse. Okay, think of it this way. Do you want him to be an exact copy of you and Barda? No, you're right. Well, uh, this is a lot to take in, Doc, but uh, but I appreciate the assistance. Oh, no problem, man. I'm, I'm here anytime. I'm always willing to help. Thanks, Doc. Wait, it was... It was... Lo- how does he do it? So you need to rethink your security system? I don't think I'm going to have to worry about anyone having his abilities. So, nah, I think we're still good. All right. Because it just seemed like he just got out of there really, really easily. Well, I mean, I switched the lock again. So. I don't think that's going to stop him, though. No, no, not at all. But, you know, at least he didn't break the lock. That's true, and there was no property damage, so, yeah. Actually, maybe I should consult him to improve the system itself, because then I know no one else will be able to get out, but then that might be bad for me, because then how would I get out? Well, you know, the Hulk could always just smash through and give you a new door again. Uh, Jessica Jones did that, too. And then the Joker barged in, and, you know, yeah, I'm just going to keep things the way they are. Probably safe. Certainly cheaper. So that's going to wrap it up for our last issue of 2018. So again, before we before we sign off, I just want to thank everyone who's listened to us for the last 34 uh, episodes who supported us, whether it's via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I want to thank all of our, our fantastic patrons uh, who have made this show possible and, and uh, supported it from, from the very beginning. Brian, uh, my mom, Matt, Ray, Robbie, and Steve, thank you all of you for your support uh, financially as well as just spiritual and and emotional um, and, and, you know, spreading the word of the show. We, we certainly appreciate all of you. And then the rest of our listeners and friends, Popcorn Psychology, uh, Considered and Conceited, Marvel Mythos, Wrestle Special, um, all of the, the podcasts that have, that have shown us love over the last year and, and spread our words. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the creators who have worked on the comics and the characters that we have done uh, over the past year. That one would take just an hour to rattle off all of their names. So, so thank you to all of the the creators and the people working behind the scenes to make those comics happen. Uh, thank you to Libsyn for hosting us uh, and giving us a platform to spread these words. Thank you to my wife for letting me take time out of my weekends that could otherwise be spent with her to to let Doc come over and record and then understanding that even after he leaves, I still have to edit the show and take time out of that on weekends and weeknights. So so many, many thank yous to to my wife yeah. uh, for, for her support. Yeah, thank you to my wife and to my family for understanding that despite working a full-time job, which is more than a full-time job because of the call schedule, which is getting better, they're 
are willing to allow me to spend time here doing this as well, because I, I'd like to think that I'm also accomplishing something positive for the rest of the world through this and being incredibly understanding and supportive of all of this. Uh, thank you to my family for allowing me to be where I am today. Uh, thank you so much to everyone that's listening to this. Thank you to the coworkers. You know who you are that have supported me from the very beginning. Uh, anytime I mentioned this, you didn't immediately laugh in my face. Uh, thank you to everyone that uh, has interacted with me. Uh, I've said this on Facebook, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, I'm thankful for everyone that I've interacted with in my life because either I enjoyed it or I learned something, and hopefully it was both. This is something that we hope is going to continue for quite a while, and we hope to just continue to grow and, and learn in multiple different ways. And I can't imagine that I wouldn't have been able to do this without the support of so many. So I hope to hear more from you guys and, and, you know, we have our ways of being contacted. So please don't hesitate. Let us know because that feedback is our fuel. Absolutely. Whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and email, uh, capesonthecouch at gmail.com. There are numerous ways to contact us and we look forward to continuing to bring you a, an amazing and wonderful show in 2019. I don't know which characters we're going to start off with in January, but we'll consult with our president level patrons and we will get, uh, we'll get some input on that and we'll figure out what else is coming, uh, down the pike because there's a lot of movies coming out. I know I would like to definitely do Carol Danvers right around the time of a Captain Marvel film. So we've got a lot of options for 2019 because we've just scratched the surface of what we can do with this show. And so, don't, don't forget, if no one else gives this type of feedback, it's all going to rely on my daughter. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Yeah, exactly. So please give us some feedback. So to everyone who supported us, thank you so much for a wonderful 2018. We look forward to an even more amazing 2019. Happy holidays to all of you and a hopefully wonderful end to 2018. And that 2019 is an even better year for all of you and yours. Doc, anything you want to add on to that? Well, I'm just glad that we decided we were going to end on a Christmas miracle. Womp womp. For Doc Issues, I'm Anthony Sitko. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, happy holiday season, a happy new year, and we will see you in 2019. Capes on the Couch podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Dr. Issues is a psychiatrist, but he is not your psychiatrist and does not have knowledge of your individual situation. For any personal mental health concerns, please consult your own health care providers. For medical emergencies, please call 911 or the designated number in your area immediately. Remember that you are not alone and help is out there.